was, you know, everybody was just trying to figure it out and, and figure out what was, I mean, you know, given the context of, of the guidelines that we had, figure out what was going to not slow down the process too much. Because again, you know, we, we, we had two and a half weeks to shoot this thing or maybe three, um, but not very long. So we didn't, we didn't have much margin for error in terms of having things get slowed down too much by, you know, the unwieldiness of all of these new things that we had to do. Um, I would say, I don't, I don't really remember what the most challenging aspect of it was, but I will say that we had no, we, we were fine. There were no um, positives. There were like, everything went really, really smoothly and we had no scares and it was relatively filled with ease given the circumstances. No. Well, and, and the other challenge I would expect uh, that just just from the standpoint of the character that you're playing, uh, you know, just surface level, I look at you, I see a fairly look, good-looking guy, and, and now you have to convince me as a performer that you're romantically challenged. And, and where, where, do you, where do you go for the mindset for that? <laughs> that's, that's a great question um and i and i <laughs> um well i don't know i feel i feel uh, rather vulnerable answering this question <laughs> i think look you know i've had some failures <laughs> i think i think we i think there's no person on the planet that hasn't had some romantic failures right uh, I've had some and, and I've made some mistakes and, you know, I've, I've said stupid things. I've, I've done silly things. And, um, <laughs> so, so I think, I think that's, you know, that's one thing is like, I certainly have some experience to drop on, but, but two, I think for, for me, in my approach to the character for Charlie, you, you know, what's, what's underneath that? Like, where, where is he really coming from? why you know there, there's a line where where ruby says to charlie um don't you want someone to spend the holidays with or something like that and he's like no i no i don't i don't want that yeah and like well why doesn't he want that well probably because he's experienced a lot of hurt and probably because he's gotten his hopes up before only to have things fall apart or fall flat and so i just my approach was like the human approach, you know, why is anybody afraid of anything? Why? I mean, I've, I've been afraid of, of love before. Why? Well, because I've been through some hard stuff and, and I've had some disappointments. So I think for me, it was just about really focusing on his, his internal world and, and, and why is he so averse to this? And if he has all of these feelings about it, then of course he's going to screw up. Of course he's going to be clumsy. Of course he's going to make mistakes because he's, he's, he's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can sympathize to a point. I, I remember after, uh, after my, after my first marriage uh, ended, I went for a very long time and said, okay, I'm just not even going to mess with it. It's just me. And I, I, I live here in the house and I do my work and I've got the dog and, I'll fix a pizza every now and again. And and I didn't really think about it. It was one of those things where I just kind of shut that off. And so I would imagine that that 
he's in that same kind of headspace. It's like it, it's not. There's a vulnerability to it, and there's a I don't want to get hurt again. But there's also I would think, and this could be just me. It's an awful lot of trouble to do a relationship. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just so much effort. You know, and 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 when you when you find that right person the effort is not so much of an effort. It's fairly easy. It was like, well, sure, I'll do it. Uh, but it's it's the process of finding that right person, you know? It's just, oh, it's such a headache. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I get it. I mean, I, I understand that. I think I've definitely been through times before where I thought, oh, God, it's it's really just not worth, it's just not worth it. It's not yeah. worth the effort. I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna do my thing, focus on myself, and 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 you know, ironically, I think that that's when sometimes I think that's when the best the best people, the best opportunities show up is when we 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 we've let go of the attachment to the idea of it, and, and then all of a sudden there there somebody shows up and it's really easy and it's really fun and and it, and it feels right. Yeah, well, and and it helps that if you have that personal chemistry right off the bat, as opposed to having to find it, you know, you know, you, you, you're, you're doing this little dance trying to figure each other out. If you hit it off right away, great. If you still have to figure each other out, it takes a while. And I would expect it's kind of the same way on set when you're acting opposite someone you've never worked with before. If that chemistry is not there, especially in a romantic story of any sort, whether it's a romantic comedy or if it's a drama or something, if you don't have that chemistry with your co-stars, it's kind of hard to sell that. So how how easy was it working with Melanie as as Rose here? Because I'm just from reading the description, I can imagine where this plot goes. Like you said, these things have a formula, so I can imagine how this goes. So how was the how was the chemistry between you two? Um, it, you know, it was great. It was really easy to work with Melanie. Um, she's, she's such a good person and she's such a sweetheart and, and just has this, this openness and warmth about her. Um, that's really inviting. And, and, um, you know, she, at one point she said to me, <laughs> cause, cause I can, I'm not that much of a morning person and, um, I can be, I can be a little grumpy in the mornings. And so at one point she said to me, you know, like, I don't know, one morning I showed up on set and I was like, she could tell I was a little grumpy. And she was like, I just decided that I was going to make it my mission to make you laugh. And so that, that ended up kind of being the relationship that we had on set. It was, it was really fun. She and I laughed a lot. Um, you know, we, 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 we just, we played, you know, and um, I, I, it, it not only made it a, a real pleasure to work with her and, and, you know, be on that job together, but it also, I think, you know, the, all the fun we had, I think hopefully that that translates to yeah. the film. The, the other aspect of that, you talk about, you know, getting burned and not wanting to get burned again. Uh, work is like that for actors as well. I mean, you're going through this audition process. You're trying to find the next gig. You've got the next role that you want to play. Have have there been times when you're sitting there going, I don't know if this is the thing for me. I mean, you started off at Duke University studying public policy, and that's that's quite a fair distance from acting. 
Um, although I, well, now that I think about it, politics and acting is kind of <laughs> maybe closer than we want to admit. It's all a presentation, right? Uh, so how how difficult is it, especially now with COVID and stuff, the audition process is completely different now. Are you finding that you're having to adjust how you approach the work at all because everything has shifted? Uh, in a sense, yes. Um, and, and I think for me, fortunately, the, this shift was already happening. It was already underway a little bit. Um, so I, one of the, one of the great things that has come out of this for me is that I've, I've started focusing, um, I don't want to say more, but I've started also focusing on, on developing projects and writing and, and getting into things like that, that, that where, where I have, feel I have a little bit more agency over my career and what I'm doing because the, the, the industry has become so unpredictable. Yeah. And, you know, the great thing too is now that, that auditions are all self-tapes. I mean, it, it, it gives actors the freedom to not exclusively live in LA or New York or Atlanta um, which has been nice. I've, I've enjoyed that. I spent uh, many, many years in Los Angeles and, and um, last year I actually moved out of Southern California for the first time since I moved out here. And, and that was a nice, there was a nice change of pace for me. Um, so, th so that's been really great. And, and to go to your first question. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, there, there was probably multiple times <laughs> over the duration of time that I've been doing this, but, but one, one really crucial pivotal period of time for me, um, where it, it was, it just seemed like it was heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak in terms of, you know, pilots that didn't get picked up the series, this thing that didn't go the way we thought it was going to th that thing. And, 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 and it, I got to a place where I, I really did start asking myself, do I want to keep doing this? Is, yeah this is this the thing for me and it, it was a re I, i'm really grateful for that time because what i got out of that was a whole new set of reasons why i did want to keep doing it and i realized that my reasons for for continuing on were were a bit different than the reasons were that i first got into it and they were better reasons quite honestly and i also realized that okay well if i if i am going to do this I want to, I, I want to do this. I don't want to say I want to do this on my terms, but kind of, you know, I want to do this more on my terms. I want to, I want to figure out a way to relate to this career that works for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, the way that I have thought that I had, that, that I'm supposed to do it for the last 10 years and not the way that people tell me I'm supposed to do it. No, the way, the way that I can engage and, and, and connect with, and interact with my career in this industry in, in ways that work for me. And, and that's been a steady, it's been a journey. It's been a steady process of me finding what that is for myself. And, and I can say today that um, I'm really, I'm really happy with where I'm at right now. And, and, and I feel good about what I'm creating and, and where things are headed. Well, and I notice a lot in the last, oh, I don't know, uh, five, five, six years especially, but maybe a little bit longer than that, you have a lot of actors that are taking on producer roles. They want to have that control like you're talking about. They want to decide what their projects are going to be. 
and it's it's a lot like what we're seeing in the comics industry in in, in publishing where you have these people that are going the the crowdfunded model, the self-published, the creator-owned material rather than, well, I'm going to write Batman for the next five years, but I can't do anything with Batman because I don't own Batman. So I'm going to go make up my own Batman, and then I can do whatever I want to with it, and, and it's mine to control. D- does it feel like there's a shift in the entertainment industry toward more of that, do you think? I mean, has that been your ex- experience talking with other people about what they want to get out of this career? I, that has been my experience, yeah. I, I definitely think that, that it's moving in that direction, and I think it's a really good thing. Um, you know, there, there are so many outlets now. There are so many different platforms and, and channels and I mean, it's incredible. It's never, I think, and I might be wrong, but I think that there's never been a better time to be an independent creator because there are just so many outlets and there's there's such a high demand for content. And, you know, like, like the studio, like the studio systems back in the day where, you know, the studio systems attracted the, the, the marquee A-list talent, right? Right. Now there's, you know, that's still true and we see what's happening in the world of series where where there's a migration of the marquee a-list talent in certain directions as well so so there's a there's a shuffling going on for sure but i i I absolutely think that that it's a great time to be someone who is going hey i'm going to create my own i'm you know i've been an actor for 10 years or whatever i'm i'm going to start writing i'm going to start creating my own projects, my own content, because there's a, there's a demand for it. And I just did uh, an independent pilot for the first time in my career this past summer. I had never done an independent pilot before. I'd only have ever done pilots that were, were ordered by, you know, uh, studios and, or networks. And I got this script and it was a comedy, like dramedy. And I thought it was really well written. I thought it was very funny. And I thought, wow, this... And, you know, it's a a female writer, uh, an actress writer. I'd never heard of her before, but I thought, wow, you know, I think she's, she's talented. And so my manager and I talked it over and we ultimately decided, Hey, let's do it. You know, let's, let's take a chance on this because this is quality. And, you know, there's a big upside to this if the right people like it. And, you know, I, I came on the project as an actor and also as an executive producer. And we're in January, we're going to we're going to start taking the project out and pitching it to some to some major players. And so, you know, who knows what will happen? I'm optimistic. But regardless, I think it, it just it, it really is a great time to do exactly what this actress did and decided to create something for herself and what, what a lot of us are doing right now. And this is the project. Elisa's almost thirty. Is that right? That's it. Yeah. And this is coming soon. Now, when you talk about shopping it around, are you looking at streaming platforms? You're looking at theatrical. What kind of distribution are you wanting to do with this? Yeah, for this, I mean, I'm not sure how much I'm at liberty to say, but it's it's the idea is that it's structured as a as a as a series. So. Okay. Yeah, not, not a theatrical situation. Um, definitely, I, th- I think we feel that 
um, in terms of the content and the tone, it's it's appropriate for potential streaming services. Um, it's it's not it's not network television friendly. Uh, I, I, I <laughs> sure. Now I saw I saw a comment the other day. You talked about the proliferation of streaming, and we've got all of this content, and we've all we're almost at the point where we have paralysis of choice. We've got too many different things to choose from and select. And with all of the different streaming platforms, you have basically now uh, what's evolving in the entertainment world is you have the big blockbuster movies that are the, you know, 150 million, 200 million, 300 million dollar pictures. And then you have the streaming 10 episode, 13 episode short series that are on everywhere, Disney Plus, Hulu, Amazon, whatever. And the 22-episode season seems to have been kind of chucked away by the wayside. And and I'm wondering if that might be a little bit short-sighted. I think there might be still some value in a 20-episode series. Of course, the cost is going to be impacted. But are we in danger now, now that you're wearing your producer's hat? Are, are we looking at too much polarization and we do the giant thing we do this little thing the stuff in the middle just kind of disappears well you know that's a really good question and and i don't know that i know the answer to that i think what i can say from from an actor's perspective is and and you know frankly uh producer's perspective i suppose um from an actor's perspective i think a lot of actors are going, oh, wow, this is this is really great because I don't have to commit to, A, 22 episodes, which takes nine or 10 months of the year to create. And so it leaves little time for, for other things. It leaves little time for other, you know, going into a film or going into another series. Right. And so a lot of actors are going, hey, you know, I can, I can do two or three series in one year if they're eight or 10 episodes versus doing one series for 22 episodes. And by the time I get to that, the end of, end of that one, I'm exhausted and I got nothing left for the last two months of the year. Um, and then also at the same time, <clears throat> I think, you know, there's knowing that they can do eight or 10 episodes and, and, and out move on to the next thing. I think that's appealing to some actors too, because, you know, doing doing a show year year after year after year after year is it's a grind. Yeah. And I mean, I've I've talked to actors who have done it. I've talked to producers who have done it, and it, it is a grind. So I think the, the toll that it takes is one of the reasons why a lot of actors are going, "Hey, yeah, I'd rather do you know two or three, eight or ten episode things a year." Cause it's just, it, it, it's just a different animal. And from a producerial standpoint, I think, you know, if, if one is doing a limited eight episode run of something, they don't have to worry about getting renewed. They don't have to worry about getting picked up for a second season. Sure. That isn't on the line, you know, whereas like doing a 22 episode show on a network, it's like, man, we, we, <laughs> We're, we're aiming for that pickup next year. 
And if it doesn't happen, uh, okay, it's back to the drawing board. Yeah. So I think doing only eight or 10 episodes of something, it allows producers to go, okay, well, there, there's just less at stake here. We're, we're, there's, there's not so much on the line because we know we're doing this and then we're moving on. So I, I think it's, it's, it's a beneficial thing in a lot of areas for a lot of different reasons. And to go back to your question of, is it, is it short-sighted? You know, I just don't know. I mean, we, we may reach a point where you're right. I mean, we may reach a point where, where we're so oversaturated with so many choices and so much content that it's like, okay, it's time to simplify again. Yeah. But let's go back to the way things used to be. I don't know. Well, and I've, I've made the, the prediction on several occasions that what we're going to end up doing, uh, what we'll end up seeing, like we did with cable, is we're going to get that bundling happen again, where you know, people, you, you'll have these services that'll bundle Hulu and ESPN and Disney Plus, and, and you pay for the package, and it'll be just like with, uh, with the cable companies. Uh, that that uh, that pixelization there in your picture is is I think on my end. Hang on, let me let me okay. clear. I that. thought it was light in the room. No, no, it's I, I I I we've been having some issues. I think we're gonna have to replace our internet box because I I wear them out. <laughs> so, uh, okay. On that note, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a real quick break. We'll continue our conversation with Ryan Carnes on the other side of this, and we're gonna get into other things. That he has been in, including some science fiction. Stay tuned. Right after this, we'll be back. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. It's like, okay, hold on. You've got somebody, and all he does is put on some glasses and slicks back his hair, and nobody knows who he is. Nobody recognizes him. It's it's it's, it's like that that uh, that scene in in the Green Lantern movie where she looks at him and it's like. How? You know, like, you just put on a mask and you expect me not to recognize you? The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Back live from the bunker... Special Friday edition, Jason Hunt here, along with our guest, Ryan Carnes, who started out as a a Duke University student of public policy and law, and then got bitten by the acting bug, like you do. But Ryan, I want to I want to touch base here on a couple of things that you've done in the genre since we do focus a little bit. I mean, Cupid for Christmas is is fantasy. But on the science fiction side, you've got a few credits including uh Doctor Who where you have quite a bit of prosthetics here. Uh this is from Evolution of the Daleks, is one of the one of the David Tennant run episodes. How did this happen? Because Doctor Who is not done here in the United States. It, it, this this seems like uh, it might have required a little effort to get that part. Well, um, <laughs> ironically, <laughs> it, it required less effort than, than a lot of them uh, in the sense that I didn't have to audition for it. Uh, well, no, I didn't have to audition for it. Um, I guess the effort that, that it required was me getting on a plane and going to London 
one summer and um, and meeting with some some folks over there in the industry, and and some some of the people that I ended up meeting with were producers and casting from Doctor Who. I it was it was during my run on Desperate Housewives, and uh, a British agent by the name of Gavin Barker had reached out to my then manager, John Simmons, and said, "Hey, I think you know I might be able to do some some good for Ryan over here in the UK because." Because by that point, Desperate Housewives had made its way across the pond and right. was doing really well. And so we said, great. So I, I went over there and uh, took met, met Gavin, took some meetings. <clears throat> and um, I think the first thing that happened was he got me hooked up with a, a, an Australian artist, a musician um, named Stephanie McIntosh. And I did her music video. And then um, from the meetings that I had while I was in London, Doctor Who said, hey, we, we, we really like to work with Ryan. Um, just give us a little bit of time and let us find a part that's really right for him. And so they sent me one script and I read it and I thought that was going to be the one that I was going to do. And I, I frankly, I don't even remember what that one was. I, I, I have no idea what which episode it was, what the subject matter was. And then they said, no, 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 never mind. Never mind. Uh, we don't want Ryan to do that one. We've got a better idea. We want to dress Ryan up like a pig. We want to put him in prosthetics and make him look like a half human, half pig. That'll do the trick. So, so they, so they sent me that script, and it was actually, you know, as as you know, it ended up being two episodes. And so I flew over to London, got the, went to the prosthetic test, and uh, then went down to Cardiff, Wales for five weeks and shot it. How long does the the makeup happen uh, take on that one? Because this is this is facial and and ears. I don't see very much in, in everything else. So you're not doing whole full body sculpting. But did you have no. to? Did you have to go through the the casting for the face, or did they just did they just make it up as they went? Oh, I definitely had to go through the casting for the face. Yeah, yeah. So so before I went to Cardiff to shoot. I flew into London and was there for about a week and I had to go to some um, effects house uh, out in the countryside of, of, you know, outside of London, which was so beautiful. That's the only time I've been to, to the London countryside and it was incredible. So yeah, I got the, the cast and uh, I used to have, it's funny, when, uh, when I finished the, the shoot, I asked them, the, the effects, the special effects makeup people, Hey, can I have the styrofoam head that has my face on it? Uh, because because they kept because at the end of the day they would take off my face right. and you know pin it to the little styrofoam head which was made from my face. And I, I had that for a while, so it was like a creepy little like party trick, you know, when people <laughs> come over and be like. Hey, check check it out. Well, I mean, that's something you keep on hand for the next time you got to do prosthetics. You here, here's my head, guys. Go ahead, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So the you've got that on your list. I'm looking through the IMDb stuff. Then there was this project on Sci-Fi called The Phantom, which was an updated version of the of the character from the comic strip and. It didn't go. Uh, what what was the thinking behind doing an update there? When they first, or I, when when there were discussions for you to play the Phantom, you're basically now stepping into this superhero role. There's a legacy there. 
but you're playing a different kind of phantom. So what were those what were those discussions like? Were you aware of the phantom as a character prior to getting involved in that project or or was this something that was all completely brand new to you? Um it was it's pretty new to me. I, I believe at the time I think I was vaguely familiar with the Phantom. I like I, I had heard of the Phantom, but I wasn't intimately familiar and and definitely didn't know much about the character. And as far as the, the discussions, I wasn't really, you know, that one was was just that was a good old fashioned audition process. I, I was not involved in any of the preliminary discussions leading up to the decision to to create a reimagined version of the Phantom. Um, in fact, that, that's kind of a funny story too, how that came about. I I had been I got that script to read for the pilot episode, and uh, I, I read it and I really connected with it. I thought, wow, this this guy's going through like the macrocosmic version of a lot of things that I felt like I've been going through on a microcosmic version of my life at that period of time. I, it was it was a time of a lot of transition for me, and um, I just I loved the script. I really connected with it, and then it just so happened that I got really sick. Leading up to that audition, I got like some some gastrointestinal thing, and I, I mean I was really really sick. And the day the audition rolled around, and I thought, gosh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I should go. You know, I, I don't know if this is a good idea. And for some reason, I went, and I had to sit in the waiting room for like an hour and a half, mm. and you know, just feeling like death warmed over. And and I remember I even called my manager and I said, I think I'm gonna leave. I, I've been here an hour and a half. This is crazy. You know, I'm I'm still really sick. And he said, okay, you know, that's what you need to do. Go ahead. And I, and something made me stay just a little bit longer. You know, I got in, did the audition, called me back, did the callback. And the callback was funny. It was like, there was, I was in the room with the casting director and then everybody else, like, the, in, you know, the, the producers who were up in Montreal, they were all on this, this predates zoom. We didn't have zoom in 2009, but they were all on a live stream video yeah. watching the audition. And I didn't even know that at the time, which I'm glad I didn't know that. And then, you know, I found out, Hey, you know, you're in the, you're in the top three. Um, the director's going to call you and have a conversation with you. So Paolo Bartsman, who is a fantastic director called me. And, you know, we had a chat about the character and, and, and I think we connected and it went well. And, you know, I guess what I, what I, what I had to say about the Phantom made sense to him and, and it ended up going my way. And that's, I mean, that's to this day, it's one of my favorite jobs I've ever done. It was, it was just a really supremely talented crew, so much fun. And I mean, who, who, who wouldn't want to play a superhero, you know? Well, and it's and it's funny because you you look at this and the the reviews were you know, not entirely positive all over the place. Um, some were questioning I, this I, idea. Of I didn't read the reviews. I, I don't read reviews. But, <laughs> oh, you but don't I, read, that's that's probably a good thing for for mental and emotional health, right? Yeah. But the the idea of the reboot, and this is something that I've talked to on with other actors, this idea of rebooting something or updating something, and whether what you know, all good intentions 
are are good intentions, but when it doesn't when it doesn't land, when when the audience doesn't respond to it or is this they're going, well, you know, you kind of missed it a little bit. How do you, how do you process when it doesn't work? What what kind of what kind of things do you do in order to say, okay, that didn't go. We're not going to be able to do any more. Time to move on. How do you how do you flip that switch as a as an actor? Yeah, that's it's tough sometimes, and and that was a tough one for me um, because I had been. For, I mean, first of all, I just I loved. I loved the the role. I loved the project, and I definitely wanted to continue doing it. Uh, and, and you know, and I love the people that I worked with. So there was no reason for me to not want to continue on. Um, also, I've been held for a year. Uh, Sci-fi. After we shot it, I had a six-month holding deal, and bas- you know, basically to say don't do any other here, you know, here's some money. Don't do any other jobs. Right. Because we have time to decide if we're going to pick this up the series. Sure. And in that six months, there were two projects, two pilots, one for Fox and one for the CW that I passed on. And the one for the CW came very near the end of that six month uh, holding period. And, you know, the, the, the CW wanted to test me for a show and, you know, so I had a conversation with, with, with it about my team. And so my team went to, to the producers or I, I think it was the producers and said, um, you know, they want to test Ryan for the show. Uh, we need an answer. Like, what are you guys going to do? We need an answer within 48 hours. That was the, that was the time limit that CW had given us. We need to know within 48 hours if Ryan's going to test. And so they said, oh, there's no, there's no way we can let you know within 48 hours. Yeah. Impossible. So you're just going to have to decide what you want to do within 24 hours, within 24 hours, they came back and they threw more money at me and they said, okay, don't, don't let him, don't let him test. Don't let him test. And we thought, wow, this is, this is encouraging. You know, they're, they're willing to part with some more money. They don't want me to go do this other show. And well, they don't even want me to test for this other show. Cause if, I didn't know if, if the test was going to result in me getting the part. And then at the end of 12 months, after 12 months of, of waiting, um, they passed on it. Sci-Fi said, we're not going to pick it up. So that was a heartbreaker. That was tough. And, and really, to be, to be fair, uh, well, to, to, put, to put it into context, let's say, there was a time where a lot of us on the outside looking in were watching the decisions that the sci-fi channel was making after they had changed their brand to sci-fi. And we were looking at what they were doing and thinking, do you guys even know that you're a science fiction channel anymore? Do you guys want to be a science fiction channel? I mean, there were a lot of decisions that the network was making at the time that we kind of look sideways at them and think, yeah, you're, you guys are trying to be USA network, aren't you? You know, because it was that, that, that priority where all of these shows like Eureka and warehouse 13, they'd go, but they'd only go for so long. And then they get canceled right at the height of their popularity. And you think, well, wait a minute, what are you guys smoking over there? (laughs) But it's interesting. You mentioned the CW because Cass Anvar is the villain in your version of the Phantom? He ends up over on Legends of Tomorrow CW show playing Hawkman. 
Have you kept in touch with people from that production? Are you are you open to a CW production now? Have you talked to anybody over there about jumping on board the DC train? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm absolutely open to that. Um, there, as far as I know, I, I, I'm not sure if there've been any direct conversations on my behalf with anybody over there. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'd, I'd hop on the DC train any day. <laughs> what about Marvel? Oh, absolutely. Either one. Yeah. I think, look, I think those are both winning horses to bet on for sure. There are, uh, there are some who believe, and, and we've had this conversation internally here. Um, there are some who think that the superhero bubble has a, a, a fixed shelf life and for some people we've gone past their prediction they were thinking okay 10 years max and then it was going to start to peter out and now here we are all of these years later we're still going with the dc universe and the marvel universe and we've got all these tv shows going and going into adaptations you know, you know mark miller's stuff and the boys and you know, all of these different superhero things that are not even really necessarily DC or Marvel. Other, other shows or you know, other, other publishers are getting into this. And there is this hesitation, I guess, for some people when it comes to comic books, for example, uh, you, you're, you're just writing the next Netflix pitch. You know, you're not writing a comic book to write a comic book. Have mm. have you looked at from a creative a creative landscape? Are there any particular superhero or comic book properties that ca caught your eye and say, you know, that would make an interesting TV show. That would make a pretty good movie. That would make a good animated series. Is there anything uh, on your radar? Yeah, yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, but I'm not sure that I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, you know, it's just between you and me and the fence post here, right? Yeah, there's, there's, there's one in particular, um, but I'm not, I'm not sure that I want to say, because um, I, I might need to keep that one close to the best. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but but that's a really good question, and and that's something too that that I do that I that I have my eye out more for all the time now. Mm -hmm. Like you know, existing existing IP that could be that could be made into a series or, or a film for sure. Are we relying too much on existing properties to adapt? It feels like we've kind of gone into overkill mode on adapting novels, adapting comic books. I mean, we get we get stories here all the time about novels that get the adaptation deal for a film or a TV series and they haven't even been published yet. You know, it used to be you'd get the book and it'd be a bestseller and it'd be out there for 6 months to a year and then we'd hear about the movie deal. But we're getting these things now before we ever know, you know, the proof in the pudding for the book itself, is this story even going to resonate with an audience? And you're already talking about a movie deal. Are, is that is that a concern? I, I, I don't know how much you've talked about this with other people in the business, but you know, at some point, this has got to this has got to kick in diminishing returns here. Uh, 
Maybe. Yeah. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit old school in the sense that I, I really missed the, some of my favorite movies were made in the nineties um, and, and early two thousands with like the, the mid-level budget film, like original, original content, an original yeah. screenplay, you know, 20 to $40 million. Those are some of my favorite movies ever. And, and I, and I had a conversation a couple of years ago with a development executive and she said at, at a major studio here and, and she said, you know, I really think that that mid-level budget film is coming back. And I said, well, I hope you're right. And, and I think some of those are now popping up on like Netflix and Hulu yeah. and Amazon, but it's, it's hard to know because they're, they're, they're not transparent about their numbers necessarily. So it's hard to know. We don't always know what the budgets of those things are, Right. but I really miss those. And I'm working on something right now that's that's like it's a good old fashioned drama about a family, you know, and 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 it's and it's a story that I think has a lot of heart and that I think hopefully will will connect with people. Um, I had a conversation a few days ago with with my first screenwriting teacher, who's also a screenwriter herself and a producer, and she she said, you know, Ryan, and she was speaking to me about this project, and she said. I really think you need to push this right now because people, because of everything that we've been through in the last couple of years, people want, people want heart. They want to feel good. Yeah. They want, they want to, they want to feel connected to something. They want to feel connected to uh, optimism and to, to love. And she said, I, I really think that, that we're going to see a resurgence of, of like human dramas. And I hope she's right, because those are my favorite movies, really. Well, and uh, I was I was thinking when we got when everything happened with the lockdown and the pandemic and everything is shut down and the studios are, are bleeding money and the theaters are, are hurting. When things started to open back up, there was a lot of conversation about the blockbuster tentpole films. I mean, these things are, you know, budgeted 200, 300 million dollars. And I and I was having conversations at the time. I said, you know, this would be a good time for the studios to to get back into doing those 20, 30, 40 million dollar pictures that don't have these huge CG budgets and you're paying for these big recognizable names and these these intellectual properties that are going to cost, you know, all of the licensing fees and everything. This is an opportunity for a resurgence of that mid-level Hollywood picture. And I guess maybe I was kind of half right because it all went streaming. And all of these studios are like, well, we need a streaming channel. We need a streaming channel. We need a streaming channel. And the theaters kind of get left in the dust over here. And Universal says, there goes, we're we're going to the we're going to the theaters, you know. Sony says we don't need a streaming channel. We're going to the theaters, and it feels like they've kind of locked into being that alternative. Everybody's got a streaming channel. You've got you know everybody and their brother has got one now. We're not going to do that. We're going to go old school, old fashioned. And I think that maybe that's one of the reasons why uh, you've got people like Christopher Nolan that have left Warner Brothers now working with Universal on this Oppenheimer project where the theater experience, the movie-going experience, still needs to be a thing for some people. Whether, whether it's a, 
you know, all of the family goes or you get your group of buddies to go on a Friday night and you go see the the new Spider-Man flick or whatever. There's this social aspect of it that you don't get with streaming. And I get it. The studios have got this new Biggie Wow tech product that they've got to sell and they've got to make enough money to justify having it. But sometimes it feels like they're cutting their nose off to spite their own face in terms of the theatrical run because you lose the you lose the social ex- experience aspect of it. Yeah, I, I, I look. I don't disagree with you. Um, I mean, I think in so many ways, to me, sadly, because I think I think oftentimes I feel like I was born in the wrong era. Um, the wrong decade, um, but you, our society has become about ease and instant gratification, and and I think we've we've lost some of the ritual from you know from from our culture, and one of those rituals being like going to the movies on the weekend, and and I still really enjoy that. I, I love I love the experience of doing that. Um, so it's it's something that I I. Man, I don't know that it will ever go back to the way that it was. I don't think that it will. But I am glad that there are some some holdouts like Sony and Universal who are saying, no, we're, we're still going to feed the, the theater pipeline. Um, because I think, and I think we're not the only ones who feel that way. I think a lot of people still want to have those experiences. Um, it's, but who knows, man? I mean, the, the way technology is going, I mean, who knows? Who knows what things are going to look like in two years or five years? I, uh, I, we, we managed to see Matrix Resurrections on Wednesday as press screening, and my takeaway from that, after after so many years observing a society that is so wired into devices and social media and all our behaviors are manipulated by algorithms now and and everything for likes and clicks and shares and retweets and whatnot and i came out of the matrix movie thinking this one's going to upset a few people uh there are going to be a lot of people that love it it's a good movie i i highly recommend it uh my uh, our our review embargo lifts on tuesday so we'll be able to tell people about it but um, I, I think it's worth the time because it's in a way, depending on how you look at it, it is an indictment of everything that we have going in our, in our entertainment society right now. Uh, whether consciously or not, I don't know if Lana Wachowski intended for that. Uh, but that's my takeaway. I'm like, you kind of hit that nail really hard on the head there <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see what the reaction is to that but but does it feel like you you mentioned being old-fashioned and this this social media everything's driven by clicks and whatnot have you experienced any of that disconnect or uh, you know your your team worried about well don't post that don't go to this social media account you you can't talk about this be careful what you say here uh, are are you having those discussions with your PR people and your publicity people and saying, you've got to be careful. You don't want to upset fill in the blank with a group. Uh, <laughs> well, I think, I think those are conversations that probably everyone is having with <laughs> their PR team <laughs> right now. Um, no, the short answer is no. Uh, because I think I, 
I tend to monitor myself pretty well. Um, and, and I probably err on the side of caution when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, it's, it's, it's a minefield out there. It, it really is a minefield. And, and I think th- this era that we're in that, that you're talking about is, uh, I think it's unfortunate in the sense that, you know, I, I think, I think debate, I think open debate in, in the public square is really important for society and for culture. And when people can't even share or don't feel like they can share um, opposing or varying viewpoints, I think we're, we're in a really tricky situation. And, and, you know, and I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, vitriol, hate speech. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm just saying like when, when, when two people can't, not agree on something and 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 that and that's just okay we're we're in a tough spot and i i think you know i think public discourse open discourse open debate is is really really important and i think it's uh we're 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 finding our way i guess as a as a country and as and as a society right now through through this through this really tough negotiation of of a lot of varying viewpoints, is there um, is there a possibility? Is there potential in doing because because a lot of entertainment you know entertainment reflects the culture, art imitates life, and vice versa, and there's that that that, that cultural impact when there's this giant something like star wars or the matrix it's a paradigm shift everything changes is there a potential opportunity here for somebody to come up with uh, a film or a tv show that addresses that we we need to get away from this us versus them about everything because it does feel like that's where we are politics has injected itself everything we do you know, you like something or you don't like something based on, you know, I, I said this uh, yesterday. I said, I can, I can go in and I can look at reactions to something like, say, The Last Jedi. And I can feel with about 95% confidence that I, based on your reaction to that movie, I'm pretty sure how you vote. And it shouldn't be that way. It was, be okay, let's, let's tell this story and entertain as many people as we can. And if they like it, great. If they don't like it, they'll like something else but you're right it's almost this we can't even we're not even allowed to disagree with each other anymore there's no debate there's no conversation it's just i'm going to call you a name and shut you down and and that's the end of it is that a is that a is that a reflection of our society as a whole do you think or do you think that's been exacerbated by social media just just Every, every man's experience here. 100% exacerbated by social media. Absolutely. No question in my mind, because yes. social media gives, gives the, the ability. It, it, it allows the ability to people be for people to be anonymous and for people to hide, you know, behind a, a phone screen or a computer screen and not have to really defend their positions in an intelligent way. Yeah. Or, in, or, or, or in an evidence-based way or, or even with reason. Like you said, they can, 
they can just name call and, and run away, you know, and, and, and shut something down completely. And, and I think it's, it's really unfortunate. And, and you said it, you said, you actually said it in the way that I was intending to say it, which is this, this, this divided us versus them mentality, man, I'm, I'm really, I'm really tired of it. And, um, I, I really go out of my way to, to particularly publicly to not speak in ways that, that promote that kind of thinking because it's really detrimental. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really unfortunate. It's really detrimental. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm about unity. Like let's find ways to bridge the divide. Let's find ways to remind ourselves that we're all way more similar than we are different, that the human experience depending no, no matter who somebody votes for, no matter what their, their, their viewpoints are on taxes or whatever, like, come on, <laughs> that the, 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 we, we share so much more than, than not. Yeah. And, and, and that, you know, as, as somebody who is wanting to create and, and is creating, I want to, I want to create things where, where people can, can watch something or have an experience of something and remember just how connected we all are. Remember just how how similar we all are in our need and desire to love and be loved. I mean, it's. I think it's quite simple, and and we've made it so complicated that it's it's gotten. Um, it, it's it's gotten like it's it's devolving us. I believe. I agree. Yep. That's, that's a good way to put it. Yep. So in the spirit of being connected and staying connected and talking good things, let's remind people that Cupid for Christmas is now streaming on Hulu and Ryan is online uh, both on Instagram and on Twitter. Ryan Carnes one is the, is the handle there for both. Are you on any other social media? No, well, I'm on Facebook, but I go on there about once every two years. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a smart, <laughs> smart move. Smart move. Uh, all right. Well, and Ryan, when you have uh, when you have your next project ready to go, and uh, assuming that it's in the in our wheelhouse, we're happy to have you back. Thanks very much for spending the hour with us to talk about things, and good luck Absolutely. with uh, with all of your upcoming projects. We'll keep an eye on it and and share when we can. Thank you very much. Such a pleasure to spend an hour with you today. Thank you for having me on and, and uh, happy to come back anytime. All right. Ryan Carnes, he is now in a Cupid for Christmas on Hulu. And uh, that's going to do it for us on this special Friday edition of Live from the Bunker. Also, our last show for the year. We'll be back the first week of January, January 3rd. And uh, we've already got some guests lined up, so hopefully you will be around for that. If you are new to the channel, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on. And uh, in the meantime, through the winter break, feel free to check all of the uh, other videos that we've got here. Connect with us over on Odyssey if you want to. And we're on so many social media platforms, it's not even funny. If you have something that you want to send us for a review, there's our mailing address. And if you want to uh, throw something in the tip jar, you're more than welcome to do that too, but it's not a requirement. So that's it for us. Thanks very much for being here, folks. I will leave you with this thought. Sometimes 
it is not worth the effort to argue with somebody because there are some bulls that will not charge no matter how much you wave the red flag at them. And there are some people that desperately want to believe there are five lights, whether there actually are five lights or not. And we all know there are four lights. Have a good weekend. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 